Hello, I'm Matthew Frost, and welcome to another episode of Fully Scored, a podcast looking in-depth into the history, harmony and meaning of Salvation Army music. Today we're going to be looking at Corpus Christi as voted by our Twitter followers, and one person that voted on the poll but wasn't our follower, so don't know what we've done to deserve that though. But before that, we're going to be joined by perhaps one of the best known names in the brass world. A soloist of the very highest calibre and principal trumpet of the London Symphony Orchestra, but also a lifelong Salvationist. He really is one of the finest musicians around and an all-round top bloke. It's my pleasure to welcome Philip Cobb to the podcast. Now, to start off this interview, I've got quite a deep question. might require a bit of thought, um, and I'd really like to, you know, to consider your response carefully. Um, what valve oil do you use? <laughs> Uh, do you really want me to answer no, that? No. Okay. No. Oh, now, on to a serious question. Um, could you tell us a bit about your upbringing and um, how you started to learn the trumpet? Yeah, I, I suppose that's a pretty straightforward one, really, and probably not too dissimilar to most people that grew up in what what is perceived to be a traditional Salvation Army sort of family of my generation. But I was three and a half um, one Christmas when my grandfather brought round for Christmas an old battered, I think it was called a Bowmaster's Cornet. And that was where the sort of love affair started. My dad at that time was still playing in the staff band. See, my brother just started to learn at about seven years old. And uh, and I wanted to do what they did. And have you always been part of the Salvation Army? Yes. And uh, would you say that your family uh, playing brass instruments have been the biggest influence on you wanting to become a musician? Or has there been anyone else in your life that's been a massive influence in those early years? I suppose the constant uh, has always been my my dad. I you know saw him conduct, saw him play from quite a young age. He's also conducted most of the bands that I, barring the the Hendon Young People's Band, uh, who was actually my uncle who was conducting that when I joined. Um, but he's conducted most of the youth bands, most of the, the the core bands, the staff band when I was in it for two years, and he taught me through all of that. Strangely enough, we didn't have any issue with the father-son relationship and we never fell out um not quite sure why that was probably more down to him than me I would imagine but yeah I would I would say my dad has definitely been the the biggest influence there's been lots of other influences army and non-army but I suppose he would be the biggest one fantastic um how has the Salvation Army aspect of music making affected your outlook on music in your professional life well, it's a very different thing. I mean, I suppose the way I see the music making in the Salvation Army uh, is it's, it's what you do for God. And it's it's a community thing as well. You know, at Hendon, it's, you're part of your, your local band, if you like. Um, and and what I do at the LSO is, is my job. Um, I mean, without a shadow of a doubt, I wouldn't be where I am today uh, without the upbringing that I had from the Salvation Army, which has been, for me, a fantastic start and grounding for, for my career but I do see them as I try and see them as separate it, it's harder these days with microphones and, and cameras <laughs> and things put under your, your nose or in front of your, your face a lot but I do see going to going to the court at Hendon and going to the church as, as, a, as much as I can as a, as a chance to switch off from the professional mode slightly different when you do a concert or if you're standing up doing solos etc but I, I do try and separate the two which I think is healthy mm. Fantastic. And as well as your work with the London Symphony Orchestra, you also do a lot of sessional work mm. recording music for film scores. 
Um, could you tell us a bit about some of the films you've worked on and how that process works and differs to your work in the orchestra? How the sessions take place and how much time you have to record a film score is very much dependent on the budget of the film. So if you've got a, a big film, let's say for argument's sake, a Harry Potter or, or, or Star Wars or something like that, that's that would be considered to be a no surprise, that a, a large budget film. So you could have anything from five days to 12, 13 days, and then a couple of weeks later have what we call pick-up sessions. But there are occasions when you, you're doing a whole film in a day, two days. There are also occasions when you're, you record everything together with the strings, with the woodwind, with the percussion. And then there are those times when the strings will be on 10 till 5 during the course of the day and you'll go in for just an evening session and record the brass separate. And that is a bit of a trend now, that directors and things like to have control of everything in case the film changes. How the sessions go very much depends on, on the budget of the film. And it's the, the, the saying very much in the studio is that it, you, you're bored to death or scared to death. Right. I remember when one of the first Harry Potter films I did and we sat for days in the Abbey Road cafe there or out in the garden just chatting away and, and then you could all of a sudden have somebody come out and say to you just one trumpet and you go in there which has happened this has all happened you go in there you sit at the back of the orchestra and the strings have done their bit and there will be sometimes somebody in the box very often a composer who will be asking you to write down on your tacit sheet a cue or a solo and all of a sudden, the red light goes on, and you have to play. You haven't played anything for three or four days. Everybody in front of you puts their instruments down because they've oh, finished Christ. their bit, <laughs> and there you are having to. So it, it is—it's a very different mindset, mm. you know. With, with with the orchestral life, you know what you're going to be doing. You know you've got a concert on such and such a day. You know how to get from A to B, and how to feel in fit shape for that, relatively speaking. And you know the order of what you play. But in the studio, it's it's totally different. And of course, you don't know. You don't know what you're turning up to play. You know, day one of a film score, if you got there at 9.30 for a 10 o'clock start, it's it's very, very unlikely that you'll have a pad in front of you. It's very instinctive. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to sight read and just get on with it. So you often don't know the genre of the film, the composer no. or anything? No. Wow. Which is why when we, the, the, the fixers that do book, tend to book three or four classical players and then we'll have what we call the token jazzer right. as well. Because if anything does... we can Most players that do that work can get away with it. But when you've got people, you know, your Derek Watkins, your John Barclays, your, your, your Mike Lovitz, people like that, that that are able to do that far better than I could ever do it. <laughs> it doesn't... You want to keep the work in London, so it makes sense to, to, to hand that down to the people that know better. And if there's a tune that comes up, very often the jazzer boys will do the same with me. They'll say, it looks more your sort of bag... Why don't you do that? So we we try and make sure within the section we have all genres covered because you, for that very reason you don't know what you're walking into. Fantastic. And I know you're very humble so I might not like talking about it a bit but um, can you talk about some of the films you have been involved with and playing <laughs> on the soundtracks of? Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Them, <laughs> but, um, oh, well, I mean, I, I, did, I did one of the Star Wars films solo. I did two or three of the, the final Harry Potters, Shreks, uh, the Avengers, Endgame... The Marvel films, Ant Man, uh, Romeo and Juliet, Beauty and the Beast. Fantastic. Quite, yeah, quite, quite. Wow. I, I should get some sort of record of them. Yeah, one day. I think you can, through the Musicians Union, I think you can do that. But I don't. Funny enough, I had a friend of mine that sent me a message the other day and said, "I'm, I'm pretty sure it's you on this film," and I didn't even recognise the name of the film. Wow. But when I listened to the first theme of it, I said, "Yeah, I remember that that tune." Mm. So I don't really remember, <laughs> remember much of what I recorded, to be honest. Fantastic. Well, that's, that's amazing. 
So obviously that's all very high pressure stuff. Um, how do you deal with performance anxiety? Do you tend to get nervous or do you have coping mechanisms? So it's a tricky question to answer that really because yes, you, you do, of course you still get nervous and, and, and anxious. Uh, I think for me, I've never been too concerned with what people think. Um, I mean, obviously all of us care to some degree what somebody thinks of you and whether they think you're a half-decent player or not. But I think the anxiety and nerves that I personally get is just, I just want to do well. It's not I'm worried about what people think of me or that I will be judged on that one performance. It's just that I really want to play well. So a lot of the pressure and anxiety and nerves that I would get is pressure I put on myself. And I think that's a little bit more manageable. But I do also think that I'm in a very fortunate situation that I'm a very busy player. I do lots of different things. So I don't do as much solo work as I used to, but I'm still doing it regularly enough that I think it terrifies you less. I think if if you're doing one a year, or if it's like exams, you know, if you're doing one exam a year, or it's much easier to build that up into a much bigger deal than possibly it is. And I think if you if you're doing the job all the time, you're able to find your coping mechanism and your way of dealing with it, um, and you you also get used to how you feel. You know, if you do feel a bit on edge, you get used to you know what the signs are for that. Where you get dry mouth, or you get shaky, or you. Or you 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 understand so nothing eventually nothing's a surprise and that in some ways is a comfort that if you if you've been there and done it as uh, it scares me to think I sort of have now in 10 10 11 years in there's not a huge amount I haven't seen or not a huge amount of emotions that I haven't felt i don't think anybody that says oh i never get nervous i think that's rubbish but i do think the more you do it the more you get used to dealing with it hmm. But so much of what we do, whether it's acting or anything performance-based, is is mental. And you do have to find a way of giving yourself a, the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, and, and also going into understanding what goes on in the head, but not overdoing it. Mm. I think that's the key, not overthinking. Understanding that sometimes, as, as I know, uh, there have been times that I've gone out there and played concerts where I've, I've felt pretty on edge I, I don't like to say nervous because I don't think I've ever gone out there terrified mm. I've gone out there wanting to play well and a bit on edge but I don't think I've ever gone out there absolutely terrified of but I know that when I've gone out there with that feeling I've played better you know mm. sometimes having a hit of adrenaline and a little bit of nerves actually helps you take and I've actually gone out there on, on occasions and not felt nervous and not played very well and sometimes that's a concentration thing or it's just that you just don't have the the seventh gear that you need, you know. Mm. Um, so this week, I mean, that kind of topic you can talk about for, yeah, for days. Hours. days. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. um, and you mentioned your dad. Uh, have you listened to his podcast episode? I haven't, but oh. I, I, I will do. I, I have been tipped off that this is a, a very good thing to listen to, so I, I shall be. I won't listen to this episode. No, well. I, will, I will listen to all the others. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, now we're recording this interview down in Bournemouth at the Territorial Youth Band, or TYB for short, and you're a member of staff here, one of the Cornet Tutors, yeah. inspiring the next generation of Salvationist <laughs> musicians. Um, could you? Just tell us a bit about the week in your eyes, what you get from the week and what you think the students can get from the week. I mean, for me, I find it an incredibly rewarding and inspiring week to be a part of. I have many, many reasons for being here. I came here as a student, as did you. So I have ties on that front. I'm obviously very passionate about music making in the Salvation Army. 
my father does the course, so I don't really have a choice. No, I'm <laughs> um, and it's given me and, and so many of my friends, your Dan Robsons that's in in uh, in Brickhouse currently, uh, Andrew Lofthouse, who of course was at, at the RAF Central Band, Chris Averson, who's at the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra. I would say, and I'm sure they would say, a big a big part of their music education that would a week like this makes you realise whether you want to do it professionally or whether you want to do it uh, to the best of your ability or whether it's not for you. Um, there's that side of it. There's the friendship side of it, and there's the, there's the religion and faith side of it as well. The big thing that I see, I, I see kids that turn up. And I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying it. Pretty off the pace on the Monday as I probably was when I did it pretty off the pace on the yeah. Monday pretty hacked off by the Tuesday and drowning quickly yeah. uh, and by the Wednesday you see a change in them you, you, you sort of physically see them thinking I couldn't play any of that two days ago now I can play half of it and you, mm. you see a change in their body language and I, I, for, for me and I know it's something my, my dad talks about a lot Music is a transferable skill. You know, sport is the same. And, and I encourage a lot of the people here in, in auditions to to be the best you can be, as I know my dad does. But I'm probably just repeating things that he, that he may have said on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe I should have listened to it. But um, there are many transferable skills that, to be the best you can be. And you only get out of something what you put in. And that, of course, applies to your, your core life, your, your faith, your friendships, all sorts of things that I, th- I think it's. I think they can learn so many life skills here. And uh, you've alluded to it already, but you're a principal cornet at the Hendon Band yep. and the Hendon Call of the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. What's your favourite part of the ministry the Call Band has there? My favourite part of it, I suppose, is um, is the Sunday morning stuff. Because as a, as a professional musician myself, I'm just constantly amazed that how the band plays and how it makes the noise it does and how it impacts a church community in the way that it does. And there is something very, very special about what Hendon Band does on a Sunday morning. And I felt the same, to be fair, when I was in the staff band for two years. I used to love the big concert halls and I still enjoy that. But the Sunday morning stuff, you create an atmosphere, a band creates an atmosphere within the church that's special. So the next question we've had sent in, and it's from... Andy Stone Fewings, who's a trumpet professor at the Royal Birmingham Conservatory, now Thanks, Royal, um, and also a trumpet player at the Royal Shakespeare Company. Yeah. So the first part is, if you haven't become a professional musician, is there another career you would have chosen? Obviously, apart from being able to play soccer for the Mighty Reds, and he says he means Liverpool. <laughs> there was a point I quite fancied being a policeman. I'm not sure I'm tall enough. To get some fancy. heels. I could get some heels, yeah, yeah. Not a very intimidating kind of guy, though, am I? That's the thing. But I don't know. No, I think there was a one point. Yeah. Have you seen the In auditions, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a point where I, I quite fancied being a copper. Okay. But I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what, what brought that on. Um, but I was always heavily involved with the music thing. Mm. And, of course, to be honest, like quite a few of us, you know, the... the my main two passions were music and sport. Um, so I did I did a fair amount of football when I was when I was very little and, and, and I played for a couple of clubs and things. But um, yeah, apart from apart from football, the only other one I can think of is that there was a a very small small period of my life where I thought being a copper might be a right. good idea. 
You talk about football. Could you explain the offside rule to me? So I have no, no idea. I, I don't think anybody knows anymore. <laughs> no. do um, the next, next part of Andy's questions: um, Is there anything you haven't performed and you'd love to play? I've never done Marler eight. Okay, which is funny, really, because we've done we've, to death. We've done all the other Marlers and mm. things, <laughs> uh, but I've never done Marler eight. I'd quite like to do that. Mm. Fantastic. And Nakoda, what toothbrush do you use? <laughs> <laughs> um, the Oral-B electronic oh fancy yeah. <laughs> ok uh, we've also had a Twitter question from Stephanie Parker at Fully Schooled is our Twitter handle um, the question is how hard slash easy is it to share and cultivate your faith amongst contact with so many people in so many different places in the music world I personally don't find that the easiest thing to do in the world but one thing I am quite passionate about is is leading by example uh, rather than I think you can there's a there's a place for every kind of witness there's 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 a place for all of that but f- for me you can also have quite a huge impact on somebody by being normal what I would say is normal yeah, well. um, <laughs> quietly go about your business and 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 do things in the right way uh, and and generally speaking, people begin to ask questions as to why, you know, why you do what you do, and, and then that's your opportunity. I've, I don't think I've ever been somebody to shout from the rooftops that this is what I believe and this is what you should believe. And now some people may may tell me that that's wrong, um, but that's never quite been my style. Hmm. It's it's not something that I've I find easy to do, but it's not something I shy away. If the opportunity comes up, it's not something that I shy away from. I'm pretty open with people about my faith um, but it wouldn't be a conversation starter for me great thank you as much now we move on to the segment of some quick fire questions so these are a little <laughs> bit more quirky right. to get a whole overview of you and your life um, so you share a name with Prince Philip but have you ever crashed a car no no good well let's hope we can keep it that way you know? <laughs> um, where's the wood <laughs> uh, favourite meal Bit of a sucker for fish and chips. Okay, Bournemouth's the place to be, yeah. isn't it? That's why you come here every year. Is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if you could play another instrument, what would it be? I'm a bit of a rocker at heart, so I'd love to. I do play a, a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of guitar, but I'd love to be able to do it properly. Oh, if only we had one here. We no, could. No, no, <laughs> want to hear that? Trust me. But I, I'd like to be able to do that. Pro- and I okay. will, when I retire in the not too distant future I will take up golf and learn to play the guitar for sure fair enough Properly. maybe not at the same time golfing and guitar no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, have you got a favourite Salvation Army composer uh, Wilfred Heaton mm. and, and RSA as well fantastic and have you got a favourite non-Salvation and Army Paul Sharman of course oh, oh yeah <laughs> I have to he's say, not he, here he, I know but he writes me solo so I have to say oh, yeah. <laughs> You might have to name everyone else that does as well now. Yes, exactly. He's my billet partner in the staff band as well. Fantastic. Have you got a favourite band piece? Yes, I probably do. Would you like to share it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No. no. I I do like Just As I Am. Wilfred Hinn is Just As I Am. Mm. I think that's pretty special. Fantastic. And have you got a favourite orchestral piece? Anything but Marla 5. Okay. Because <laughs> I've played, it, play that played one, yeah. it so many times. <laughs> okay. uh, Marla 6, I like, I like playing Marla 6. Nice, fantastic. Um, and last of the favourite music-y bits, have you got a favourite uh, cornet or trumpet solo? I wouldn't say I have a, a, a favourite. 
One that has seems to have had a huge impact on people was the song I recorded on my first album, Don't Doubt Him Now, mm. which is just a simple tune. But it is interesting that non-army or army settings, very often it's it's that or share my oak that I'm asked to, to play in some whether whether it's with piano or recitals or, or with a band or an outside band. Don't doubt it now seems to be seems to have had quite a significant impact on people. Mm-hmm. Can you bake? Not so much bake, no. no. I have tried. Have you? What, yeah. What's your signature bake if or like dish if you could? Well, it's very basic baking but I did try and do some um, um, gingerbread men at Christmas oh nice but of course that's a bit of, bit of decoration going on fantastic, oh, fantastic. but the baking is actually very basic isn't it so, but I am a big know, fan of the, Britney, the Great British Bake Off oh, yeah. I do cool. yeah great and staying on food foodie sort of things yeah I like this I've this got some like paradise banana chips here would you like to try one and uh, tell me in one word what comes into mind I hope I'm not allergic. Oh, I hope you're not. So, for now, do you want me to read the ingredients? There's banana in it. <laughs> Coconut oil, sugar, and flavouring. Sweet. Sweet. Brilliant. Have you got a favourite Bible verse? Praise him with trumpets. Nice. <laughs> uh, best city you've ever visited? Tokyo. Great. Um, somewhere you'd like to visit? I'm doing it this year, actually, but I'd like to do New Zealand. Mm. Amazing. Mm. Fantastic. Um, Do you speak any other languages? No. No? I was going to get you to demonstrate. My my mother tried (laughs) to get me to French, because she's pretty fluent with French, but it didn't really really work. If you could be any animal, what would you be? Mm. I bet that's not a question you get asked in many interviews you do. (laughs) Something big, because I'm little. Fair enough. Just mix it up a bit. Nice. Big bear or something. Okay, grizzly bear. Grizzly bear. So I could see above everybody for a change. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your least favourite mode of transport? The way I currently feel, aeroplanes. Right, fair enough. Because it's, uh, yeah, getting on and off aeroplanes and emptying your pockets, taking your belt off and all that. I've, I'm not so fond of that anymore. No, no. <laughs> Having done it for a third of the year for ten years. Um, do you have a favourite sport? Yeah, big football fan. Big football. So who yeah. do you support? I'm an Arsenal fan. Okay, sorry so, to hear that. Um, yes. <laughs> Spurs lost tonight, though. So Did they? Yeah. I know nothing about football. Yeah. Um, favorite takeaway food? I do like a, a sort of a posh takeaway kebab. Ooh, okay. I do like a. Have you got a favorite one in particular? If you like, mention their name. They might send you some free kebabs or. Durham, Finchley, they might. Fully Scored is not sponsored by Durham. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are you an arsonist? No. No, great. Uh, (laughs) Fiction or non-fiction? Fiction. Fiction. Um, Scone or scone? Scone. Uh, Have you got a favourite herb? That's a hard one, that one. Um, Basil? Uh, incorrect. The correct answer was Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. <laughs> um, least favourite subject at school? Maths. Probably mine too. Mm. Um, best gig you've ever done in your life? Well, two spring to mind for me. Uh, one is Marla 3 with Bernard Heitink at the proms. Um, and when I did the... Um, opening and closing of the Olympic Games I suppose was although I didn't really realise what I was doing at the time um, 
when I look back on that now, that was a pretty cool gig. Mm, fantastic. And performing Rowan Atkinson and people like that. And nice. So yeah, that was quite a, quite a special gig. Mm, absolutely. And to finish off our quickfire questions, how loud can you shout the word cactus? <laughs> do you want me to do that now? Please. Cactus! Oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to wake people up. Do you want to wake people up in the room next door? I'm sure they won't mind. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much for your time, Phil. Absolute pleasure. Thank pleasure. today's musical analysis we're going to be looking at a piece that was voted for by you on twitter if you didn't vote uh, there'll probably be another chance to do that soon and i'm joined by major martin cordner here today and we're going to be looking at robert redhead's iconic piece corpus christi so first of all welcome martin to the podcast yeah, thanks very much indeed and it's great to be here in your core in cambridge recording this today so first of all could you give us a little bit of context about when the piece was written, why it was written, and what it was written for? Sure. Well, I think many of our listeners will know that this piece was written in '94 for the ISB's tour of the Canadian East Coast in that year. Robert Redhead was bandmaster. He put the music together uh, as the conductor of that band. It was featured twice as the ISB's main presentation at the International Brass Spectacular concerts with the New York Staff Band, Chicago Staff Band, Canadian Staff Band. So it's written for that occasion. Uh, Andrew Bly tells me, because Andrew was part of the band at that time, it was written about three weeks before the tour. So um, when you listen to the recording and um, you, you, you get a sense of the adrenaline that's in that presentation, it, it might part be partly because the band, <laughs> it was so new to the band, you know, and <laughs> by the power of the Holy Spirit and a bit of adrenaline, I think they were, they were getting through it. So it's a fantastic uh, presentation. So it's written for that occasion. And um, all of that was part of the Canadian Staff Band's 25th birthday party. And um, also, it would be Robert's swan song as the ISP bandmaster, because soon after that, uh, he would be appointed back to Canada um, after being uh, the Territorial Music Secretary in the UK here for four years, I think it was. And by the way, I think it probably would be remiss of us not to acknowledge that Robert's health uh, right now isn't quite what it should be um, at present. So both he and Gwen... Uh, poorly, so we remember them in our prayers and we send our best wishes to them and their family. Great, thank you very much. And what a piece to be written for a birthday party. I hope the cake was up to the uh, expectations <laughs> yes. as well. Um, so could you talk to us a little bit about the theme and the material used in this piece? Yeah, sure. So the, the title obviously translates as Body of Christ and um, the thematic basis is the Bible, as you would expect from Robert being a Salvationist and Salvation Army officer. And we go to a passage found in Ephesians chapter 4 about each member of the Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, um, using their gifts in the family of God. So it's about the importance of unity um, among believers and working together to achieve a common goal. So it's about church in action, really. Um, in terms of songs that Robert draws upon, there are three. Uh, we've got Give Thanks with a Grateful Heart, that comes at the end. Um, Bind Us Together, which comes in the middle. And those two songs are both from the late 1970s. And there's also uh, a spiritual called Dem Dry Bones, which everyone will know. And I didn't realise until researching this that it was written by a couple of guys called the Johnson Brothers around about 1928. Uh, Robert takes those three songs and he takes this idea of the um, Old Testament vision uh, that Ezekiel had of the Valley of the Dry Bones 
uh, and he takes that as an analogy for the church. God breathing new life into the new bones is Robert's idea of God breathing life into the body of Christ so that he can come alive and everyone can use the gifts that God has given them. Fantastic. So let's now look at the piece in detail. We'll start at the beginning, so it's always yeah. a good place to yeah, start. Definitely. And it's quite an iconic opening for a Salvation Army piece with this huge, organic concert D-flat major chord, isn't it? It's uh, uh, unlike it, anything, really. It, it really is. And, and, and actually, if you think about it, I think Robert opens this piece with an ending because most pieces would end in that way. Uh, so it's, it's quite captivating because um, the first thing you're faced with, as you say, is this enormous chord. And it's a little story about this uh, call from, from the performance at Roy Thompson Hall that Robert shared with me one time. And I think it was Peggy Thomas, who at that time was principal of the Chicago Staff Band, sharing the stage with the Staff Band on that weekend. And she said that it was such a scintillating performance, but she could actually feel in her body the intake of breath from the Staff Band before they played the first note. Such was the power of the note that was going to come, that they needed to draw this enormous amount of air. And she said she physically felt that sitting there. So it's a wonderful opening. And actually that chord is the first of three chords that will appear in the first 26 bars, I think it is. And I think they kind of, in order of priority, we have the second most important first, then we have the third, and then we have the, the most impactful one comes third. And I think um, that's probably right, because Robert doesn't want to give the game away completely right at the beginning. He wants to save something. Uh, but yeah, it's a really arresting start. And do you think those three chords, the power of three is often talked about in literature, repeating things three times. Do you think that there's a power of three as well in this music and perhaps it could be a reference to the Trinity or is that overthinking it? Possibly. I've not seen any evidence really that that might be uh, Robert's thinking. But he does bookend the piece with three chords at the end as well, which we'll get to uh, a little bit later on. Um, For me, I think the important thing, we can take Robert's score notes, is that he's trying to paint here something of the enormity uh, of the presence of God um, in the universe and in the life of the church as well. So for me, it's a Genesis 1 verse 1 opening, because Genesis 1 1 says, in the beginning, God. So I think Robert is just establishing from the outset, first of all, there's God, and everything uh, will flow from him and through him. So I think that's really what he's trying to achieve at the beginning. But we all agree it's a fantastic opening, I'm sure. After the horns given us the opening treatment of Give Thanks, mm. we move on to section 27, which moves into a more lively 2-2 section. Could you talk yeah. us through what this section is telling us? Yeah, about? well, this is where we start to hear the, the theme, uh, Dry Bones. And um, I think this recalls uh, a verse in Ezekiel 37, verse 5, which says, This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones, I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. So I think Reddit is using uh, temple blocks here to describe the, the, the brittleness of the bones, you know, so that, to me, is the sound of the bones. Um, there needs to be great energy here. There's a, a lot going on. It's marked pianissimo, and I think most bands 
play this too loud, to be honest with you. But it needs to be a whisper. It's a breath. It's the breath of God, uh, after all. Excellent. And you mentioned earlier about the temple blocks that Robert Redhead uses here. It's almost an iconic part of his music. Anyone that knows a lot of his music, he often does use these temple blocks. Yeah, uh, I think he does. Unlike any other composer, really. Yeah, composers have different trademarks, mm. don't they? Robert, for me, is one of the most imaginative with percussion. You know, a lot of us, myself included, if we can write past the side drum and the bass drum, then we're doing really well, you know. But uh, Robert seems to have a good understanding. So, yeah, he brings a lovely colour. At uh, bar 43, we get the Dry Bones melody introduced for the first time uh, using the solo horn. Um, and then musically, more interest is added with a layer of cornet motifs. Um, and then in the first key change, we go up a tone to E-flat at bar 49. All the horns carry the melody and the cornets have some quite exuberant uh, patterns. It's really lovely to listen to. This is the first time a section of the band, as a section, is featured um, as part of the body as it were. So later on, we're going to hear from the tubers and the trombones and the euphoniums as well. But here, uh, the cornets are featured. And Robert says, the cornet section need to have the excitement as if discovering one's abilities and gifts. So we now move on to bar 57 of the piece and we change the key once again. Mm. Could you talk us through what happens in this section? Yeah, I think, you know, when you, when you write music, if you're going up uh, in key signatures, you're, you're building anticipation, I think. And so I think Robert's just layering on and mo moving the story onward. So there's a playfulness um, at this section. Uh, first trombone carries the melody in a fairly high register, actually, G flats and high B flats. The soprano takes the melody an octave up for a few bars. Above the melody are these sort of interjections from the cornet section, and underneath the melody, um, you've got the solo horn with some chromatic patterns, and there's a wonderful pizzicato on the uh, first baritone euphoniums and bass, which is really, really good fun. Excellent. So, moving into bar 65 of the piece in bar 64 we have an absolutely fiendish um, solo cornet part there we recorded this with the household troops not long ago and i remember this being a, a bit of a pain mm, yeah, <laughs> but we move yeah, into uh, bar 65 of the piece what happens in this section? well you know uh, it is intense and it's hard work for the band but it needs to be fun because this is the body coming to life that life has been the breath of god has been breathed into the bones breathed into the church and the church is using its gifts so everything has come to life so essentially what you've got underneath is the harmony of the dry bones song but without the melody and robert takes three four or five on so different ensembles i think it is all playing different things at the same time plus percussion of course so it's fortissimo and uh, robert directs that the passage should be as brilliant as possible brilliant not as in performance but you know in its sound and so to me as i say this is the body coming alive god's breath has been breathed it's joyous it's expressive it's um, jubilant the bones are connected and everything's working together <laughs> So at bar 74, we have the dry bones motive coming again. Mm. What happens after that? Well, 
the whole thing starts to uh, fade, the exuberance just dissolves uh, somewhat. We're still at the same tempo, um, two in a bar, 76 minims or half beats in a bar. It's pretty quick, but it's much quieter. You get the inter interjections of the dry bones motive, as you just said, on horns and baritones. And then just before we arrive at the next slow section, the temple blocks are heard again, just to remind us. Um, and uh, the tenor horns of first baritone give us a forecast of the song bind us together. So they have bum, 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 which I think is reminiscent of there is only one king, you know, the, that bit of the song. So, Are we allowed to sing, by the way? I don't offend anybody, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's a forecast of the song which is to come, uh, bind us together. And you said it's all quite quiet here, almost like a stage whisper. It gives a real excitement to the piece of music, this intensity, but... Yeah, yeah. Very wrapped up and quiet. Yeah. So we heard the cornet section featured earlier. We mm. now move into a section that just features the tubers and the phonemes, which um, I believe Robert Redhead says in the score notes that are treated as tenor tubers quite That's orchestrally. Right. That's right. Um, yeah, I've I got to be honest with you, and I don't know what Robert's thinking is with this, but it's an intense two minutes, this. Um, I don't think it had been done before in Salvation Army brass band music where we just feature the tuba section and, as you say, euphoniums helping as tenor tubas as well. Um, but I wonder whether it's a sort of a meditation on the idea of the, the body of Christ. Um, in terms of melody, I think it's an original melody here, but I wonder again whether it's built on Binders Together. It's the same kind of notes, uh, there is only one God, there is only one King. Um, but it's quite difficult for the basses to play because they need to play in a register, which is, let's face it, foreign to, to for most of our bass players who all the time have to play below second line in the stave. Um, and now there's uh, high Gs, As and Bs on B-flat and E-flat basses. Um, but I think Robert wanted that. He didn't. He could have given it to euphonics and baritones, but I think he wanted the sonority of the tubers, which is probably more compelling than baritones and euphonics playing in, a, in their more comfortable range. So it's intense, it's prayerful, and it's just glorious to listen to. As we said, it is quite a challenge for the band. In your opinion, do you think the Salvation Army 
brass band movement needs challenging music or do you think music should be accessible to all what is the purpose of this challenging repertoire in well, your opinion yeah that's a good point i think this is something that every writer wrestles with you know you're going to write what works for bands all the time and it's 100 percent guarantee and you're going to play it safe or are you going to try and stretch things a little bit and blaze a trail i think you have to find a balance so i think there's a place for both and but you can't have a whole piece which is, you know, a foreign concept. So I think it's good to introduce these new things. And uh, I think the answer to that question, from my point of view, is yes, we should stretch our bands and yes, we, ch- we should challenge them. Who wants to listen to the same standard of music for 150 years? Nobody. So um, perhaps, uh, Robert, with this, with this section, um, it's been an opportunity for bands just to step it up a notch, you know, um, because you do have to dig deep for this to work, this section. We'll pick up the second half of this piece from after this section in our next podcast. Mm, Thank you very much. Thank you. So, welcome, Phil, back to the podcast. Um, We're now going to put you to the test in Band Mastermind. You've got 90 seconds, or one and a half minutes, once you've finished your banana chips there, (laughs) to answer as many questions as you can correctly. So, Philip Cobb, are you ready for Band Mastermind? Yeah. Your time starts now. What's the last published piece in the festival series? Oh, don't know. What test piece did Eric Ball write for the 1969 National Brass Band Championship? I'm going to guess Resurgum. Incorrect, I'm afraid. And who won that year? Black Dyke. Good guess, but not quite. Dean Goffin's Light of the World is based on an allegorical painting by which artist? Don't know. Okay, how many movements are there in Bach's Christmas Oratorio? Oh, I should know that one. Seven? Not quite. Well, very far off. Uh, <laughs> Edward Gregson was principal of which UK conservatoire? The Royal Northern. Correct. Um, which was published first, Song of Courage or None Other Name? None Other Name. Incorrect. Oh, who I'm composed? Sure that was right. Well, it wasn't. Who <laughs> composed the theme tune for BBC Young Musician of the Year? Okay, we'll move on. A is 440 hertz in modern music in Britain, but which pitch is A traditionally when performing Baroque music? Say again. What pitch is a Baroque A? Yeah, but what what do you say? So, what in hertz? What pitch is Baroque A? Okay. Um, In what year did French virtuoso? Oh, the time is up, but I'll finish the question. In what year did French virtuoso trumpet player Maurice Andre pass away? Oh, um, two thousand and thirteen. So close, unfortunately not. Though it's two thousand and twelve. So I'll just go through the other questions you didn't quite get. Uh, the last published piece in the festival series was Covenant Worship by Len Ballantyne. The test piece in 1969 was High Peak and Brickhouse and Rastrick won that year. Uh, the painting that Light of the World was based on was 
Holman Hunt's Light of the World, I think it's called. Uh, there are 64 movements in Bart's Christmas oh, yeah. Oratorio. Few more than seven. Um, you then got some corrects. It was Song of Courage was published before none of the name in 1961. It was Edward Gregson who composed a theme tune for BBC Young Musician of the Year. And Baroque A is usually played at 415 hertz, semitone lower. And but uh, you didn't know that about 12 months ago, did you? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, thank you once again, Phil, for your time and coming Pleasure. on to the podcast. Thanks for embarrassing me. No problem. It's fine. <laughs> We're happy to do it again anytime. <laughs> Great. Thank you. thank you very much. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Fully Scored. Once again, if you have any questions about anything we've discussed today or any queries anyone else can answer in a later episode, please send us a tweet. Our Twitter handle is at Fully Scored. Also, if you follow us, there's some excellent banter. <laughs> Thank you to our producer, Simon Gash, for his work editing all these podcasts together, cutting out the bits we're completely rubbish and organising guests come and join us, and generally just keeping us all in check. Thank you to my team of band nerds who have helped with the band mastermind trivia, and thank you for tuning in. Goodbye, and God bless. Just before we finish this episode, we've got one final little nugget for you. Whilst we've been recording these interviews down in Bournemouth at the Territorial Youth Band, we thought it would be a really nice idea for some of the staff and students at This Week to share what This Week means to them. Enjoy. So, what does TYB mean to you? Well, my name is George. I'm from the Regent Hall. I'll be coming for... This is my second year. And I think TYB is really good because we get to play music that we wouldn't usually be able to play in, like a core band setting. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Stevie Williams from Wrexham. Uh, TYB, to me, I first started as a student ten years ago. Knew one person going. I was very ill my first time for most of the week but had a great time nonetheless and now it's a family to me where we explore faith, music and being the best that we can possibly be. My name is Harry, I'm from Derby. Uh, This is my third TYB, Um, no it's my fourth TYB and TYB means a lot to me because I met some of my best friends here and I've developed in my playing a lot since I've come here and I learn a lot from the week, both spiritually and in my playing. Hi, my name's Abby and I'm from Cardiff Canton. It's my first year at TYB and it means a lot to me because it's a good week to make music with friends that you wouldn't usually do in your own core. Thank you very much. My name's Jonathan and I'm from Sale Core. I've been coming to TYB since I was 15 and I've done nine years now on staff. It's my favourite week of the year still and probably I think it's better every year. The young people are amazing in the way they transform their playing from the start of the week to the end. It's wonderful to see the friendships that they make and also to see them grow closer to God. 
uh, and those friendships and that community is what makes TYB special and still uh, my closest friends now are the friends that I made when I was a, a young bandsman at TYB. Uh, my name is uh, Daniel, I've been coming to TYB for one year. I'm from the core of North Shields, it's um, about eight miles uh, east of uh, Newcastle, um, up north. Um, and it's not a big core, but I've come to TYB just to improve because my, I've got my GCSE uh, performance piece, which I'm going to do, Love Eternal by Michael Babb, and uh, I just need to improve it to get the best grade possible. But TYB is also a, a express time to express um, my playing even better to get um, up to band, because we, we're not a big core, we've like, only got eight in the band, but we do, but, but our local area, we're doing really well. Hi, I'm Ben, I'm from Hendon. TYB means a lot to me because I know a lot of people from here who I've made good friends with and it helps with the musical making and it helps my friendship with Jesus. Hi, I'm Max from Hendon. TYB, it's a lovely time. It means a lot to me. I'm stumped. Well, that was really good. Well done, Max. Hi, I'm Callum. I'm from Seal. TYB, for me, is a great week because you get to spend it with some of your best friends that you'll ever make, making music for Jesus. Hi, I'm Karis. I go to Regent Hall Call. Um, TYB means a lot to me because of the friends you make here and the time you spend playing music that's really meaningful. Um, you learn a, a lot about what your abilities are as a player that you wouldn't necessarily learn in a core setting. Alright, we're both called Ollie. I'm from Cambridge. I'm from Preston. Uh, this is my third year at TYB. This is my fourth year at TYB now. And to me, TYB is a fantastic um, way to develop both my skills in music and the fantastic friendships that I've made here. Yeah, it's pretty much the same, really. Um, except it's like you learn, you learn music, you're learning from amazing staff, and you get to make mates who you're always with for the rest of your life. For me, TYB is a great way to reconnect with friends from other parts of the territories, like especially northeast and southwest. It's kind of a great way to just meet everyone, but also to develop my playing skills and abilities, but also my styles as well. Hello, my name is Aaron, and I'm from Scotland. You've probably realised that by now. TYB is a great week. Uh, and uh, it means a lot to me, is it means I, I get to make music in a brass band within the Salvation Army setting, as I don't really get to do that much. Uh, Stephen Cobb, come from uh, Hendon and work for the Music and Creative Arts uh, team at THQ. TYB means rather a lot to me, really, because I've been to all the courses. Uh, I've been part of the, the team that, that's, uh, that's made the week work. And with, with every year, I, I feel a, a, a deep sense of gratitude that I'm, I'm part of the team. And, um, yeah, it means a great deal to me. It's, it's come to me more and more to me, actually. Thanks so much.